Hey friends, I'm Becky Davidson. Welcome to the Rising Above Ministries podcast, where we share stories of hope, inspiration, and encouragement from special needs families from around the world. We have a very special episode for you this week on the Rising Above podcast as we're sharing a sermon from my late husband, Jeff Davidson. Now he preached this at the River Community Church on April 4th of 2013, and it's called Love Unleashed. And it's such a powerful message and so very timely for today. You know, one of the things that I loved so much about Jeff was his willingness to be vulnerable and to share from his heart. And he does just that in this episode. Jeff passed away five years ago on May 23rd, but his powerful words live on and his legacy is infused in all that we do at Rising Above. And you can find more of his messages of hope and encouragement on the Rising Above app. So be sure to go and check them out. So enjoy this message from my late husband, Jeff Davidson. Thanks for coming. My name is Jeff Davidson. I am uh, I'm on the leadership team here at the River and uh, just had something in my heart to share with you this morning. So I'm, I'm honored to be here and, and glad to do it. If you're with us for the first time, don't panic. The real guy that's up here every week will be back next week and everything will be back to normal. But uh, we are glad you're here. I want to start off this morning. Let me ask you this. How many of you are, are history buffs? You enjoy history? Uh, just me? Okay. Well, good night. Drive safely and uh, see you next week. I, I love history. Anybody watch uh, the Bible series on the History Channel? There you go. Uh, I've always loved history. And uh, I'm going to tell you a story this morning about a famous skirmish that happened in 1985 that's not in your history books. You're going to have a hard time finding anybody who can tell you about the infamous skirmish of Clement Hall, 1985. But I can, because I lived it, and I'm here, I survived it. Let me show you a picture of the battlefield where it all took place. That is Clement Hall on the campus of the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. That was my dorm, freshman year, 1985. I was a uh, naive underclassman freshman from Cookville, never been out in the world, didn't know much about the world. And I decided it would be a good idea to take the opportunity to just randomly have the university choose a roommate for me. Anybody ever done that? Never again. So I was assigned a roommate. Now, I know this is going out over the internet. This, this is going out on Facebook, the video. So I want to be real careful uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, so I'm just going to call him Joe, okay? Because I, I, I know this is going out public and, and well, Joe was his name. And so <laughs> Joe was an upperclassman from Memphis. He'd been there four years. I was a freshman from Cookville. Joe was from the inner city. He uh, had a different lifestyle than I did, made some different choices than I did, and, and the tension kind of started early on between Joe and myself. And uh, I would come home in the evening, and I would find, we, we lived in a shoebox that we shared in Clement Hall, and I would come home, and I would find the floor 
just littered with, with liquor bottles, vodka, tequila. I mean, when he and his friends were through partying, they would just leave the bottles in the floor. And they would just stay there for days. You'd have to walk around them, walk over them. And so finally, one day, I got, I got a little ticked off, and uh, I took a garbage bag, and I filled that bag to the top with all of his, his liquor bottles. And then I pulled the covers down on his bed, and I just put them all on his bed and put the covers back so that we came, when he came staggering in that night and just collapsed in bed, he'd get a rude surprise. And, and that kind of elevated the tensions. <laughs> and it just kind of got worse from there. He would, he would empty the contents of my mini fridge to keep his beer cold. He would, uh, he would tell my, my girlfriend at the time that I was out with other girls just to try to cause tension. And so when his mom would call from Memphis, I would tell her I hadn't seen him in a week. And it just escalated and it built all over the course of the, of the semester. And, and here's the thing. The whole time this is going on, I'm going to church Sunday mornings. I'm going to church Sunday nights. I'm going to church Wednesday nights. And that doesn't even count. I'm doing, you know, I'm praising God, I'm singing, I'm reading my Bible, I'm trying to lead a pure life, I don't cheat, I don't cuss, I'm doing all the right things, except when it came to Joe. And, and our tensions just grew and it grew and oh, we, we got to where it was spring break. And I was going home for a week and, and he was having to stay on campus and I knew that, that he would just want to stay around and drink and watch my TV. I had a little TV in the room. I took my TV home for spring break just so he wouldn't have it there in the room. And finally, when we just got on the, on the, on, on the, just on the cliff of mutually assured destruction, it happened. He had been working the entire, entire semester on this massive architectural project. He was an architect major. And he had designed and built this huge model. It was, it was going to be half his grade in this class that he had to have to graduate. And he worked and he worked and he poured himself into this thing and he built this massive model. And it was due at eight o'clock in the morning. And he finished it at three in the morning. It had to be turned in by eight. He finished it at three. He collapsed into the bed. He began snoring immediately. And I snuck across the room and I unplugged his alarm clock. I know. I know. He woke up 10 minutes before eight, staggered out the door, half dressed to turn his project in. And I would love to tell you that we made up, that we became friends, that I was the best friend at his wedding, and, and we, we still get together and have a reunion every year. I, I can't tell you that. I've even tried to find him on the internet, and I can't. Why do I tell you all that? Because while I was going to church and praising God and reading my Bible and studying Scripture and trying to lead this life of following Christ... I failed. Because the way that you show that you love God 
is by loving people. We talked last week about loving God and how do we love God and we gave some examples. But when it gets down to the heart of the matter, when it gets down to what really counts, the way that you show that you love God, the way that you demonstrate that you love God is by how you demonstrate that you love people. And I failed. Let's go to the word and I want to show you some things that Jesus said about loving other people. So if you have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, a tablet, go ahead and turn it on, fire up a version. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39. Now, if you grabbed a Bible out of the pew and your neighbor looked at you a little funny, that was probably their Bible, give it back. Grab one of those burgundy ones that's in the chairs. We're going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39. We've got it on the screen as well. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, who's my neighbor? Is that one house over? Is that three houses over? Is that the crazy guy on the corner down there? Because that's like five or six houses away. He's really not my neighbor, is it? Who's my neighbor? Good question. Let's go to, let's go to John chapter 13, verse 34. John chapter 13, 34, just two books over from Matthew. Now, so I am giving you a new commandment. Love who? Each other. Who's your neighbor? Everybody. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your neighbor is not just one house down, two houses down in your neighborhood, in your subdivision. Your neighbor's in your town, your community, your state, your country, your world. Jesus' command is to love everyone. In fact, Jesus says the entire law is summed up in the fact that you are to love each other. And what Jesus is calling us to do, what Jesus is asking of me and asking of you is this. Jesus is calling us to join a movement that embodies God's love in the way that we demonstrate love to other people. You can put a fish symbol on the back of your car and you're not following God. You put a bumper sticker on your car, you're not following Jesus. I don't care how many times you share pictures of Jesus on Facebook. That's not discipleship. That's not following Jesus. I don't care how many times you share his picture on email and tell me to send it to 10 friends in the next five minutes to be blessed. That's not how you show that you follow Jesus. You can have all the right doctrine. You can have all the right theology. You can have all the right beliefs. But if you don't have love, you don't have Jesus. And if you're not demonstrating that love, if you're not demonstrating that love every day, then you are not following Jesus. You know, scripture tells us in Matthew 25 that, that in the end, when it all matters, when it all comes down to it, 
There's not going to be a doctrinal test on judgment day. Jesus isn't going to stand there and go, okay, now, Bill, were, were you, were you pre-trib or post-trib? He's not going to say, Wanda, did, did you like the hymns or did you like the more modern stuff? What Matthew 25 tells us is Jesus is going to stand there and go, hey, there were a lot of hurting people in the world. Did you do anything about it? I mean, I, I, had, I had people I created who were, who were hungry, who were thirsty. Did, did, you, did you do anything to feed them? Did you, did you give them anything to drink? There were people who, who lived in poverty and, and had nothing. Did you, did you do anything about that? There were people who were different, who weren't like you. Did, did you love them? That's what he's going to ask you. When you look at the gospels, when you look at Jesus's life, you cannot help but escape the fact, the reality that his entire message, his entire central message was this, love. The entire central message of the early church was love. And I mean real love, not that plastic half smile fake stuff that, that I'm guilty of in my own life, but real, genuine love. Let me, let me read you a scripture. I, I didn't put this in your listening guide, but let me read you this. It's from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Listen to this. Don't just pretend to love others. Anybody ever pretended to love somebody? To love a certain group? Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good, but love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring other people. It's love. I was trying to think of, of how can I demonstrate this? How can I get you to see this this morning? And I, and I was reminded of the story of the woman caught in adultery. And, and I want to take you there for just a moment. And I want us, I want us to read this story together. Uh, turn over back in the book of John, where we just were, or to the very beginning of the book, uh, chapter 8, John 8. Very beginning of the book, verses 1 through 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. You ever wonder what Jesus was writing in the dust? I mean, here they are. They've brought this woman in front of him. They've accused her of a horrific crime. They're ready to stone her. They're ready to kill her. They demand an answer from Jesus. What should we do? They're trying to trap him. 
And he just starts doodling in the dirt. The Bible doesn't tell us what he does. It doesn't tell us what he wrote. But have you ever wondered? I wonder if he, I wonder if he looked around at the men standing there and if he just started writing their own sins in the dirt. I, I wonder if he started just writing their names in their own sins. And as they're looking down, their eyes go wide when they see their name, their sin. Verse seven, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and rode in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What did the woman need in that moment? What was the woman hoping to find in that moment? He didn't condone what she did. He told her to go sin no more. But he offered no condemnation for her past. He simply offered her love. What do we do when we find people who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who don't believe like us, who don't vote like us, who don't think like us? Do we act out of love? Or do we act out of condemnation? See, they were trying to trap Jesus with the law. Because the law at the time said that we should stone her, that we should kill her. But what Jesus said was, I have come to tell you, in Galatians 5.14, in fact, he says, the whole law, the whole law can be summed up in this command. Love your neighbor as yourself. What matters most What matters most in the way you love God is the way that you show love for those who are created in his image. I've got a little boy. Most of you know my son. He's different. He's, uh, some would say, broken because of his disabilities and his special needs. He's different from most of you. He acts different, he looks different, he thinks differently, he's just different. But I created him. He's my son. And if you want to capture my heart, if you want to show love to me, do you know how you do that? You show it to my son. Because I created him. And he means more in the world to me than anything. And so if you want to show me how much you love me, you'll love my son just the way he is. 
And if you want to show God how much you love God, then you will love the ones that he has created just the way they are. No strings, no conditions, no if they get their act straight, if they, if they start to believe like I do, if they come around, if they, no. You will love them where they are because that's where Jesus first found you and where Jesus first loved you. And we love because he first loved us. And the way that you show your love is by showing the love for those that were created in his image. We live in a world that is hurting, don't we? We live in a world that is broken, a world that is screaming for help. We live in a world where three billion people, that's one half of the world's population, live on less than $2.50 a day. We live in a world where 3.4 million people will die this year because they don't have clean water. We live in a world of mental illness, of depression, of suicide. We live in a world where, listen to this, more people today live in slavery than any other time in the world. Did you know that? Than any other time in history. 27 million people live in slavery today. Human trafficking is an epidemic. Human trafficking is in 78 of the 95 counties in Tennessee. Did you know that? Oh, and yes, Putnam County is one of the 78. It's right here. We live in a world that is screaming, begging for help, pleading for love, saying, just show me some love. Show me what love looks like. Give me a second chance. Don't condemn me. Help me. Show me truth. Show me love. You know that person at work that gets on your nerves more than anybody? How many of you could think off the top of your head right now? Be honest, a person at work gets on your nerves. I can't say that because I work with my wife, but most of you. You know that person? That's the person you're supposed to love like you love yourself. How many of you got that one family member that just kind of You know, you'd rather they stay in the basement and only come out at Thanksgiving. You get that one relative? Yeah. Love them like you love yourself. How many of you got that one guy in the neighborhood that's just a little strange, you're a little worried about, creeps you out a little bit? Love him like you love yourself. Here's the real test. How many of you have somebody in your life group that kind of gets on your nerves a little bit, pushes your buttons? Let me see your hands. Okay, those of you who don't know who I'm talking about, it's probably you. Yeah. Love them like you love yourself. That's how you love God. I want to tell you a story and show you a video of what I mean. I want to tell you about two football teams. The first football team is Faith Christian Academy in Texas. Faith Christian Academy is in a very affluent very prosperous area. They have 70 players on that high school team. They have 11 coaches. They have incredible fans. They have all the latest equipment. 
They have a really great football program. They were 7-2 and two last year when the video I'm about to show you takes place. And Faith Christian Academy was playing a school called Gainesville State School. And Gainesville State School is located inside a maximum security prison. Gainesville State School is made up of teenagers who are doing time for murder, assault, and brutal crimes. Gainesville State has 14 players. They don't even have a field. They play every game on the road. They get spit at, they get yelled at, they get taunted. You can, you can imagine how they get treated. And last year, the 0 and 9 Gainesville State team went to play the 7 and 2 Faith Christian Academy team. And one man, one follower of Christ named Coach Hogan, decided he would do something about it. And Coach Hogan called his team together and he said, These people that we're about to play are just as valuable as anybody on this planet. Just as valuable. And they deserve love. And they deserve second chance. They deserve dignity and honor. Why don't you take a look at this video? When you walk around the grounds of Gainesville State School, you'll see just about everything you would on any other high school campus. There are students, teachers, a computer lab, and a gym. Except here, the students are convicted criminals. It's an incarceration facility for kids that have uh, violated the law. Each day starts at a tiny dorm room they call home. And continues marching from class to class, abiding by a strict schedule. In fact, the one thing that makes them feel like kids again is football. I'm just like you know, remote model on campus, you know what I'm saying? Everybody want to play on the football team. Just to put on a tornado's uniform is a reward, not a right. You must have good behavior and good grades. Not to mention, every game is played on the road, but it's worth it to escape on Friday nights and enjoy a small piece of freedom they gave up. But each week, there comes that constant reminder of who they are and what they've done. They don't treat us as a regular person in the world. They treat us like we're just some alien, just from somewhere out, just out of nowhere. I mean, they look at us like animals in a cage, like we don't deserve a second chance or another opportunity to be something in life. <laughs> After hearing the ridicule and losing eight straight weeks, the Tornadoes were once again on the road. Traveling to play private school power, great find Faith for the first time, who had moved up a division. Their head coach, Chris Hogan, had a game plan in mind, and it had nothing to do with football. We were going to show them that in this country, if you make the right decisions, people will get on your side and support you. And it doesn't matter what your background is. You can make it. In a selfless suggestion, Coach Hogan sent out an email and requested his fans, his players, parents, do something so out of the ordinary in the football culture. He asked them to cheer for Gainesville State. These young men will not have any fans outside of the faculty from their own school. Their parents will not be there. I want some line fans to sit on the visitor side 
and cheer for the Gainesville team throughout the game. I thought, okay, this is this is cool that Chris wants us to do this, leading up to it. But getting there that night, it was so easy to transition from being a fan for the Faith Lions to a fan for the Tornadoes. You know, the idea of uh, of giving. And just being there to support those kids, those young men that have never had that before. So for the first time, the always-on-the-road tornadoes would feel as if they were at home. And as kickoff approached, it was obvious something was different. It looked like they thought they were at the wrong end of the field because they know they don't have any fans. And we were just looking. I just looked. I just kept doing my plays. But I seen how they were split up. But I figured they just didn't have enough room on their side. I want y'all to line up the line. They make, they're making a spirit line. I'm like, say what, coach? What you say? Can you beat that? And uh, he said, they're making a spirit line for y'all to run through. I'm like, that's what's up, sir. That's what's up. When it happened, it was just, it was dynamic. It was one of the most unbelievable things I'd ever seen. When I ran through this, like, I felt like it was just like some, like, angels was on this side. I just all I felt. I was just running through it as fast as I can. I just feel the wind rushing my face. That feeling of being unleashed lasted throughout the game, and so did the cheers. We had a penalty like the third play of the game, and I heard booing behind me. I turned around, and it was the, the great man fan. I remember when I was making like a play, I made a chocolate, and people were yelling my name. I'm like, I don't even know these people. They were just like ours that night. I, I can remember rooting for their little quarterback, and I felt like he belonged to me. Our kids were their kids, and their kids were our kids, and all kids were the same. It wasn't enough to lead the Tornadoes to victory. As expected, Grapevine Faith won 33-14, and the Tornadoes finished the season 0-9. But it didn't matter, because for the first time in a long time, someone was in their corner, and that alone was worth celebrating. I was like, hey, y'all, this, this is going to get close, man. I don't care. I don't care if we lost tonight, man, because I was feeling good. I feel like we were losing the Super Bowl championship game or something. Like, we won that. I mean, winning, like, in our heart, spiritual-wise, I mean, we won. I've, I've been in state championships of different kinds, and there's nothing was like this. Nothing. Isaiah and the rest of the Tornadoes will never forget the feelings they had on that night. And while it didn't erase the mistakes they've made, it showed 14 teenagers that regardless of the bad things they've done in their past, there was reason to look ahead. I cried. <laughs> when I, when, when after the game, I went back to my room, I cried. I think that your, your family ain't the only ones that love you. God ain't the only one that love you. Other people love you too. This is what I was hoping and praying would happen. I hope that it gave them hope. I see the world in a different way now. I mean, I'll just see, like, I'm the victim no more. So much love because, you know, I came from a broken home family. So, I mean, having all that love, it just, just rose my spirits up. They got to be kids that night. They got to be a teenager and experience Friday Night Football in Texas. After the game, Isaiah, the teenage convict quarterback, surprised everybody and asked if he could pray. He said, Lord, I don't know what just happened. So I don't know how or who to say thank you to. But I never knew there were so many people in the world who cared about us. On the way back to the bus under guard, each player was paired up with a player from Faith Academy who gave them a burger, fries, a Coke, a Bible, and an encouraging word. 
The world changed that night for 14 young men because somebody said, we will love them like we love ourselves. I'm calling on me today. I'm calling on you. I'm calling on all of us to unleash this overwhelmingly crazy, relentless, reckless love on this world that says, I don't care who you are, what you look like, what you think, where you came from, what you believe, we will love you. We will love you just the way you are. We will love you too much to leave you where you are, but we will love you. There's a there's one of my favorite passages in scripture that I want to close with. It's a passage in scripture where Jesus walks by one of these. Y'all know what one of these, you know what this is? It's a fig tree. And in the story, Jesus walks by the fig tree and it has no fruit. And so as he walks by, Jesus, Jesus just curses it nonchalantly. He just walks by, curses the tree because it has no fruit. They walk by the tree the next day and it's dead. I mean, it's Jesus. He tells you, die, you die. People are like, hey, what happened to the tree? It was fine yesterday. Jesus spoke over the tree. Jesus' words had the power of life and death. Every person in your life, every person in your family, every person here, every person you work with, live with, associate with, interact with on a daily basis, every person is a fig tree. What comes out of your mouth determines whether they'll live or die. Every time you say something It's not out of love. You're taking taking life off that fig tree. That person that, that you struggle with the most in your life, that group that you struggle the most in your life to understand, to accept, to love, those are your fig trees. And every word that you say has the power of life and death over them. There's some of you here today who honestly, you, you, don't, you don't know how to love because you've never been loved yourself. Things in your background, things in your, in, when you were growing up, things in your life, challenges that you've been through, struggles that you've been through, trials. They've, they've zapped your ability to love because you don't know, you don't really know who you are. All you know is you hurt. And you hurt deep. And when you look in the mirror, I tell you what, if, if, if you're a woman here this morning and you've got a, a little makeup mirror in your purse, a compact purse. Can you pull it out right now? Just pull it out. If, you, if you've got a little, you know, those little mirrors you use to multitask in the car with, eat your breakfast, text, talk, 
pull, pull those mirrors out if you've got them. And if you're sitting around somebody with one of those mirrors, I, I want you to look in that mirror with them right now. I don't, I don't know what you see when you look in that mirror. I really don't. I, I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what you see there. But I know what God sees. God sees the son and the daughter that he created in his image. God sees someone to love. God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Everything that I've ever done, everything that I've created, everything in history has been about finding you because I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be the dad that you never had. I want to show you the love that you've never experienced. Because you're in my image. I created you. That's who God sees in that mirror. I know there's, there's some of you today that you've got some, you've got some stuff in here that, that you need to get out of the way because it's getting in the way of you love. You know, God's, it says that we love because God first loved us, but we can't love as long as there's a little, bit, a little bit still in here that we can't let go of, that we can't forgive, that we can't forget, that we can't overcome. Listen to me this morning. Other people may look different, act different, think different, believe different, have a different lifestyle than you, whatever it is. But the reality is, they got stuff. You got stuff. In the great theological terms, we all got stuff. It's time to lay it down. It's time to give it up. I'm going to do a couple of things here. I'm I'm going to pray. And and I'm going to pray for two or three specific groups. I'm going to pray for people who who need to feel that love, who who don't really look in the mirror and see what they need to do. I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to pray for folks who need to let some things go that are getting in the way of loving other people. And then the third thing I'm going to do, there may be somebody out there right now and your heart's just kind of thumping real fast. As I heard somebody else say, that's, that's God's knuckles. And he's knocking on your heart. All this stuff we've talked about today, this loving God, this loving Jesus, this loving others, it, it all starts by simply acknowledging who Jesus is. See, Romans 10 9 and 10 says this. It says, a relationship begins when when you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And when you believe in your heart Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. That's where it starts. That's the moment in which you will cross over from death to life. You were dead until that moment. And the minute that you begin to believe and the minute that you confess that, you cross over from death to life. And there may just be, may somebody be here today who wants to cross over from death to life. And I'm gonna pray for you first. So here's what I wanna do. I'd like everybody to just bow your head. Would you please close your eyes? Nobody's gonna look around. Nobody's looking. 
but me. If you, if you need to just feel that love this morning, if you need to know what that love is like, can we leave the house lights up just a little? I, I've got really bad eyesight. I just, raise those lights up a little bit. Just raise your hand right now. Just slip it in the air so I can pray for you. Is there anybody here that just wants to feel that love? Father, I, I pray for those who are raising their hands. Father, I pray this morning they will feel your presence, they will feel your love, that they will wrap themselves inside of you, that your spirit will come over them and tell them that you love them just the way you they are. You love them too much to leave them that way. Let them feel that love, Lord. Is anybody here who, who just wants God to forgive you for some past hostility in your heart, for not letting go, for holding on to some bitterness. Can I pray for you? Just raise your hand where you are. Raise your hand where you are. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Father, I pray for these honest people who are standing before you today and saying, Lord, I've, I got a little something, I got a little stuff I'm holding on to and I want to let go. I want to get rid of that stuff, God. I'm giving it to you. I'm asking you, Father, to show me, to teach me, to guide me, to prompt me to love others like I love myself and in doing so, to love you, God. Thank you, Father. And now with everybody still holding your your heads down, keeping your eyes closed, is there anybody this morning who feels that that change going on in their heart, who who wants to know more? You're still messed up. You still got stuff. But you want to take those first steps of of initiating this relationship with Jesus to learn how to let go of that stuff. Could I I just see your hands? Are there any hands for that? Raise them high. Any hands for that? One more time. Anybody? Father, I thank you for all these folks who are here today. Father, I pray that you will teach all of us the essence of love, of reckless love, of love unleashed, of love abandoned, of love that climbed climbed up naked on a cross and died for me and died for them. Father, I thank you that your spirit was with us this morning and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rising Above Ministries podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a rating and review. This helps others like you find our content more easily. You can learn more about how Rising Above Ministries is encouraging the special needs community by checking out our website at risingaboveministries.org or by finding us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you.